Well, this is the last in our worship series, Having Words with Jesus. And it brings us a rather grim image, doesn't it, of a rich man suffering in hell. But before we get too caught up on talking about heaven and hell, and since we are welcoming the choir back, I told you I'd get it in. (laughs) I want to remind us of a song that also had some harsh realities in it. A song that was sung when Jesus' mother, Mary, newly pregnant, went to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. Do you remember what that song is called? The Magnificat. I heard it from somewhere in the choir. See? Oh, yeah, that was Christina. (laughs) Well, in the Magnificat, Mary told us what Jesus' message would be and what the kingdom of God would look like. She's saying that God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. And she sang this song in the present tense as though all of those good things, well, all of those things, had already happened, even though she was probably only three months pregnant at the time. She had already accepted the promise as reality. And since the Magnificat is a song, I wonder if Mary ever sang it to baby Jesus. Did you ever sing to your children? My mother did, and sometimes we wish she hadn't. (laughs) She'll tell you that too. But if there was an important song in your heart, if there was something that you remembered from when you were young or when your children were young, didn't you enjoy singing that to them? I wonder if Jesus remembered those words from when he was growing up. I wonder if he created this story of the rich man and Lazarus in order to teach his mother's song to others. And is this story really so much about putting fear into us about the eternal future? Or is it an invitation to make today look as much like that promise as we can. Well, like all of Jesus' parables, the answer to that question is yes. It's both those things. It's all those things. It's many other things. If fear is what you need to wake you up to the gulfs, the chasms, the gaps, the distances that divide us, then use that. But use it well. If hope motivates you to make changes in your life so that you can see the suffering of those around you, then use that. If you need to be encouraged by noticing the bridges that have already been built, then Wayne Community Church has some stories to tell you to get you moving. And if someone else's story of their experience is what it takes to open your eyes to another's reality, then there is a testimony waiting to be shared 
and heard. Doug sent me a book review recently. I've got another book for you, Jim. <laughs> and it intrigued me, so I bought it. And it's called The Economics of the Parables. I think it was from, was it the Wall Street Journal? Or I think Doug must have gone downstairs. Um, anyway, uh, he sent me the review, and I thought, okay, all right, I'll check that out. And it's written by a Catholic priest and economist. His name is Father Robert Sirico. And he has a whole chapter just on today's parable. And while there's a whole lot of information in this book of what we could talk about or wonder about in this story, questions like, why is the poor man named and not the rich man? Have you noticed in scripture, usually it's the important people that get named? Have you noticed how many women are never named? So how did Lazarus get named, but the rich man, the one with power, doesn't have one? How did the rich man get his wealth to begin with? Did he inherit it? Was he a politician? How did, was he a merchant? Most merchants weren't that wealthy at that time. How did Lazarus find himself in this degraded position? Was he always poor? Was he always sick? Were the dogs licking his wounds out of compassion? Or because they were hungry too? Well, Sirico contends that one thing we know for certain, this parable is a warning to the complacent and the myopic rich. Right? The people who only have one eye for one thing, right? They're totally zoned in on money and nothing else. Myopic. He argues that this is a warning to avoid attachments to earthly goods and that ethical success requires an outward gaze, a concern for and commitment to those around us. The fact that the rich man knew Lazarus's name yet did nothing to relieve his distress, shows that he lacked the mind of a servant. And Sirico argues that um, the most successful business people are those with the mind of a servant and heart of a servant. He says service, charity, and humility are the characteristics that mark the authentic servant of God. And that there is indeed a grave and eternal danger in donning the purple and feasting while others around us are in pain and hunger. Even if there is no cause and effect between the two, by behaving in this way, we are acquiescing to the temptation to forget our own mortality and vulnerability. This is who the rich man really is, and his fate can be a sober reminder, but it does not have to be our fate. Have you ever seen the movie Bruce Almighty? Anyone? Anyone? Oh my goodness. I, I warned the choir I was going to talk about this. Well, I'm actually dating myself, and so um, those of you who are older than me that haven't seen it, you're dating yourselves even more because <laughs> it's a 20-year-old movie. 
Um, anyway, it's a really great movie. It's got Jim Carrey and um, Morgan Freeman. And it's about a down-on-his-luck television reporter who complains to God that God is not doing his job correctly. <laughs> and so God gives him the opportunity to try doing it for a week himself. It's hilarious. But it has some really good questions, too. And throughout the movie, there are... Um, there are six scenes, I think, where a man who never says a single word shows up. He's visibly dirty and disheveled with tattered clothes and shoes. He holds a ratty cardboard sign with various messages. And Bruce sees these signs, but he doesn't really understand them. And he dismisses them as crazy. I wondered about the people standing at intersections, whether in Augusta or in Portland, with their own cardboard signs. I see them with my eyes. I think I understand what the signs are saying, but do I really? And am I doing anything to bridge the distance between us? I think Sirico might have boiled this parable down a little too much. Yes, there is warning and a commission to adopt an attitude of gratitude and prayerful respect for others, but there's also a larger picture at work. You see, the words on the signs Bruce sees in the movie have multiple meanings. He thinks they're misspellings, but they're not. There are plays on words. And the Bible is full of plays on words, many of which we miss because it's been translated so many times to, before it gets to us in English. But if you go back to the Hebrew, you'll notice all kinds of plays on words. Other commentator, commentators have suggested that Jesus really isn't so concerned about the condition of the heart in this story as he is with the disposition of wealth. The parable isn't only about individual piety and ethics. It's a call to justice. The anonymity of the rich man means that he could be anyone. The parable comes right after the one we looked at last week where the Pharisees, remember who are the Pharisees? The church folk, that's right, the church people. Where the Pharisees ridiculed Jesus, and that's why I picked up where we left off. I repeated those verses this week. The rich man could be the one Jesus was accusing of loving money. He could be those who have when they are surrounded by those who have not. He could be me. The rich man could be me. There's a growing gulf or gap in today's economy, especially when you look at it from a global perspective. And that gap cannot be bridged in the next life which means that it can only be crossed in this one. 
Jesus is asking us to pay attention to the gulfs, to mind the gap. That's my nod to my husband and the queen. (laughs) Not only so that we don't fall between the cracks, but so that we can close them, bridge them for everyone. And how do we close the gulfs between the haves and have-nots? How do we close the gulfs between those who hold power and those who live on the margins? How do we bridge the gaps? Or how do we cross them? It takes a cross to close the gulf that exists between people. Jesus never said it was a sin to be rich. He said that it would be difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven because they would have a lot to unpack first. Yet this story assures us that because the gulf cannot be crossed in the next life, that means we must have the power within us now to make the changes we need today. We can't wait for the kingdom of heaven to arrive. We're part of making it reality now. Notice that the conversation between the rich man, or that the rich man has, is not between he and God. Who's it with? Who's the rich man talking to? Father Abraham. And kids, afterwards, I'll teach you the Father Abraham song down in Fellowship Hall if you want. We think too often of the power of the Holy Spirit that we've been given as an internal thing, an individual thing, that our salvation is about making sure that I am right with God. But maybe, what if we can't be right with God unless we're right with people, too? Maybe the rich man isn't talking to God because he hasn't been talking to God his entire life. And so he needs to go through Father Abraham first. He needs to make it right with the people first. All month we've been talking about the difficult sayings and scriptures. And part of what makes them difficult is that they're not only about internal transformation. It's not about the individual. It's not only about personal holiness or piety. They're not all about or they're not about the things that are in our individual control. They challenge us to change the world around us too. They're about external transformations, about relationships, about bridging the gaps in our communities and our neighborhoods. It's not just about the economics. There are all kinds of gaps that separate us. I think about the signs in our front lawns. How many times do those signs preclude us from even talking to one another about something that might disagree with those signs? And transformation begins with seeing. Did the rich man ever truly see Lazarus? He saw him in the afterlife, 
as a possible means of relief from his suffering. He didn't serve Lazarus in this life, but he expected Lazarus to serve him in the next. Send Lazarus down to give me a drop of water. Send Lazarus to my brothers to warn them. Has a very different ending than the Christmas carol, doesn't it? Did the rich man ever see Lazarus laying at his gate? He was generous enough not to run Lazarus off. But did he really see him? Because seeing people is the first step. It's the sign for us that says, mind the gap. And now it's up to us to accept the power of the cross to bridge the gaps between us. And so here is your blessing. Thank you for wrestling with me all month long with some of these hard words. And so I now offer you these words of love offered by, um, I'm kind of a fangirl of hers, Reverend Nadia Boltz Weber. She's a Lutheran pastor. Blessed are the agnostics. Blessed are they who doubt, those who aren't sure, who can still be surprised. Blessed are they who are spiritually impoverished and therefore not so certain about everything that they no longer take in. Oh, sorry, let me reread that one. Blessed are they who are spiritually impoverished and therefore not so certain about everything that they no longer take in new information. Blessed are those who have nothing to offer. Blessed are the preschoolers who cut in line at communion. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are they for whom death is not an abstraction. The last few years have taught us that death is not an abstraction. Blessed are they who have buried their loved ones for whom tears could fill an ocean. Blessed are they who have loved enough to know what loss feels like. Blessed are the mothers of the miscarried. Blessed are they who don't have the luxury of taking things for granted anymore. Blessed are they who can't fall apart because they have to keep it together for everyone else. Blessed are those who still aren't over it yet. Blessed are those who mourn. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are those who no one else notices. The kids who sit alone at middle school lunch tables, the laundry guys at the hospital, the sex workers and the night shift street sweepers. Blessed are the forgotten. Blessed are the closeted. Blessed are the unemployed, the unimpressive, the underrepresented. Blessed are the teens who have to figure out ways to hide the new cuts on their arms. Blessed are the meek. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are the wrongly accused, the ones who never catch a break, 
the ones for whom life is hard, for Jesus chose to surround himself with people like you. Blessed are those without documentation. Blessed are the ones without lobbyists. Blessed are foster kids and special ed kids and every other kid who just wants to feel safe and loved. Blessed are those who make terrible business decisions for the sake of people. Blessed are the burned out social workers and the overworked teachers and the pro bono case takers, and I'm going to add, and our nurses. Blessed are the kind hearted football players and the fundraising trophy wives. Blessed are the kids who step between the bullies and the weak. Blessed are they who hear that they are forgiven. Blessed is everyone who has ever forgiven me when I didn't deserve it. Blessed are the merciful, for they totally get it. I hope somewhere in there you felt seen and noticed. Because God loves you, and so do I, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. Amen.